The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Over the Monster podcast. Uh, as was the case, well, I guess this is the second week in a row with the same pairing. Uh, we got me, I am Matt Collins, hosting today, and I am joined once again by Brian Joyner. Uh, for our first podcast, I don't think the lockout had quite happened when we recorded last week, so first lockout podcast. Brian, what is going on? Um, it is our second podcast uh, together yes we're together. we also did it all season so just reminding you i said second we, straight yeah i know but um the season was long ago at this point yes it feels like forever ago and uh right now baseball is not even a thing if you go on uh mlb.com you won't even see the current baseball players because uh there are not lockout reasons yes they don't exist anymore um the pictures are all silhouettes. You've seen that. You don't need me to explain that to you. And if you haven't, who really cares? Um, but yeah, so right before the lockout started, the Red Sox uh, did make some moves. Uh, nothing major, major splash, but uh, some interesting moves. And one extremely surprising move, at least from my perspective. Uh, it was the last one, literally minutes before the lockout uh, officially got underway. The Red Sox... Uh, squeezed a trade in there, uh, sending Hunter Renfro to the Brewers for Jackie Bradley Jr., plus a couple of prospects. Um, Alex, realizing now I've never actually heard his name, um, Benellis. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm going to say it uh, before I look it up. And um, also David Hamilton, a couple of solid prospects, not elite. Um, but Renfro going to the Brewers, Jackie Bradley Jr., making a return to Boston. Um yeah, I mean, this trade just totally caught me off guard. Were you surprised, just starting generally, were you surprised that they traded an outfielder and maybe Renfro specifically? I mean, they had a fair amount of other needs this offseason. The outfield seemed pretty set. Um, just looking at it on its face, did this just, not even thinking about the return, did trading Renfro or just an outfielder in general surprise you? No, it was the exact opposite. It Yeah dovetails with what I think is their process, especially he was on, he's on a two year deal, right? This is entering the second year. Renfro? Um, well he yeah. was arbitration eligible, so I think he's got okay. one more year under control after this one too. Okay. Well I'm, but this is part of the idea of their process, I think. If if he pops somebody pops um like they did this year to recoup or slash gain expected future value in terms of the prospects or really think the reason for this deal. Um, and obviously the Red Sox had some defensive issues last year. So JBJ can help in that department, but no, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, it made, I'm not saying it made a lot of sense for me. I, I see the reasoning behind it. And the, especially with respect to the defense aspect, I mean, it's not that this has worked out swimmingly, but it seems like the Celtics bringing back Al Horford when it's like, oh, no, no, no. Let's, <laughs> let's build from the base where uh, some guys we know we like and can contribute it in positive ways. But again, to me, I just think it's the prospects, but it sounds like you 
were very surprised. Sort of. I mean, I was kind of playing it up for that question, I'll be honest. Um, I I mean, I've been talking about, um, and I mean, not saying that I'm a genius, a lot of people have been talking about this possibility um, for pretty much the whole offseason. In fact, I remember the first time I really started th- thinking about it was during the season we got a listener question um, about trading Renfro for pitching, which I thought um, made a lot of sense, and they obviously didn't get pitching. They went a different direction. I actually think Bradley is the... Um, I mean, fourth or third most important piece of this trade. I think what they do next is the most important, and then the prospects they got back, and then Bradley's just kind of a nice um, boost, but I don't really think he factors too, too much into it. But, I mean, in terms of Renfro, I think um, it's sort of selling high. I don't think they got so much back that it's like, wow, they really kind of... Um, stole some value from a solid season from Renfro, but I think they did decently well, and I think it makes sense to trade Renfro. I mean, he was obviously a huge part of their success last season. Um, He was kind of all over the place defensively, but he made some big plays defensively. Obviously had some big hits at 31 home runs, Um, but over his career, I mean, he just hasn't really been that kind of hitter, and even last season, he was so streaky, and he just kind of always, even with the final production being very good, um, he always kind of seemed like a guy that it, it wasn't really ever going to stay that way, and he's probably more of like an averageish hitter, so I kind of um, always thought it made sense there. I was surprised, I guess, by the timing. Um, this, kind, this came out of nowhere. I mean, we hadn't even really heard anything, um, any whispers of them even considering a trade like this, trading one of their outfielders. It kind of came out of nowhere. Jackie Bradley Jr. being involved was um, like a legitimate holy shit moment for me. I was... Um, Totally caught off guard. I was just about to fall asleep, and that woke me right up. So I, I, I was surprised by the timing more than anything, but um, the idea of trading an outfielder with some of the other outfielders um, available who we'll get to in a little bit, um, that makes a lot of sense. But sticking with Renfro, and I kind of alluded to this and where I'm on this, but, I mean, do you see this as selling high, or do you think the Renfro that we saw last year is indicative of a guy that we can see in his career moving forward? Obviously not with the Red Sox anymore, but. I mean, you could see it again. It's possible. But I think that you made this point during the season and you just made it now that his defense, the things he did were very flashy and good, but it was actually all over the place. And when he wasn't throwing out runners, he wasn't, he didn't grade particularly well. So that plus 31 homers, I I, I don't know if I ever mentioned it, but it, it, he... Even when we talked at the trade deadline when he sort of had a little value spike, it didn't wouldn't have surprised me if they dealt him. So, I, as I said last time we talked, and as I'll say this time, these all just feel like process steals to me. Uh, what they do to fill it, I think you, as you alluded to, and what they do in the free agent market, if and when that ever begins again, um, is far more illuminating of how they expect to compete than I think this is because this seems to be more of a this is I mean this is clearly a depth deal for them and depth in prospects and depth in the outfield uh, defense specifically and like all the deals they made before the lockout these were just uh filling the the back end first and now we will see what they do i mean we might see what they do to fill in the uh the front end but we didn't talk about we will talk about paxton and rich hill obviously but again all these deals to me and the renfro deal falls into this category just seem to be all part of the same process where the names kind of don't matter frankly but uh long answer long answer short sure renfro could do this again but he could very um very easily not do it again so i don't th- i don't think that they'll be kicking themselves if he goes out there yeah. and repeats the season is a is another way to say it yeah I, yeah i agree i mean i think there's 
certainly reasonable risk that he made real strides at the plate last year and that's um but i think you're right i mean they they're factoring that in and to me i mean this move in a vacuum i mean just looking at this move specifically is buying prospects more than anything um bradley's contract is not great um he has a option i forget what the buyout is but his luxury tax hit for this year is um 12 million and he was i mean he was literally the worst hitter in baseball last season it wasn't just i mean people complained about his offense when he was in boston but he was always just kind of a fine hitter um especially considering his defense but he i mean his he was legitimately terrible uh for the brewers last year he had a 35 wrc plus hit 163 236 uh 261 struck out 31 percent of the time i mean he was he was bad any way you slice it um so i i think to your point about depth, I think Bradley makes a lot of sense as the fourth outfielder. But I think this was more taking on... Um, they actually took on money this year. Renfro was... The other part of Renfro we didn't mention, he was due for a decent raise in um, in arbitration. So when this trade first came down, it was reasonable to think they're trying to shed salary and um, play the cheap card and all that. But they actually did take on money here um, to get a couple of prospects, and it's worth just mentioning these prospects very quickly. Um Alex Pinellas is probably the bigger get. Um, he was a 2021 draftee, uh, looked good in his pro debut, played most of his season in A-ball, hit 314, 379, 636. He's a big power hitter, um, makes a decent amount of contact, although I don't think he's going to be um, a super contact hitter. I think it's mostly going to be power, and it's all going to come down to the power because um, he plays third base now, may have to play first base or DH down the road. Not really clear he's going to be able to stick at third base, but if the power plays up to its potential um, and the offense overall, he can stick at first base. Uh, David Hamilton's probably a little bit of a safer guy, 2019 draft pick, uh, split last year between high A and double A. Solid offense. Um, he's got a good approach at the plate not a ton of power but he can play defense up the middle shortstop um very fast so i mean he's i think these guys are probably in just ballparking it in terms of red sox prospect rankings they're probably in the 11 to like 25 range so good prospects but not elite um just thinking about that is that a good enough prospect haul to justify bringing on a little bit of extra money and Jackie Bradley Jr., whatever that, whatever your idea of Jackie J- Bradley Jr. might be? Yes, because, I mean, I think that... Uh, hold on. When I say yes, what I mean is thinking as high on Bloom must be thinking yes because the potential value um, of Benellis is... Uh, more than worth it, especially if you just repeat this sort of thing over and over, obviously. The whole point is is to have as many bites at the apple when it comes to top prospects. For what it's worth, Manelis is now 16th on MLB Pipeline's um, list of uh, Red Sox prospects, and Hamilton isn't in the top 30. I bet Hamilton will be by the time they re-rank, but yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and um, look, we Benelis is in a ball, so it's you know it can go a lot of different ways. But I think that he is definitely the key to the deal. I don't think that they did. I I, I think it's much more likely they did a deal with Manelis in mind and like. JBJ was convenient to get it done, at least from the Red Sox perspective. Um, but look, I bet that they were shopping Renfro all over the place for the reasons that yeah. I uh, alluded to. And look, I think it's a the Brewers want to compete. It's a good deal for them. You know, I, I think it's a good deal for both sides because I also think that there's no reason to suspect that simply returning last year's team would uh, ensure anything like the finish they had, uh, which I think was very positive. I think that this is still the middle slash three quarters of the way through the process. And the important thing to 
the ownership group into the into Bloom, etc., is to get it to the point where the depth is sufficient that we wouldn't even blink an eye at a deal like this. And I think that Renfro seems like a big part of last year's team, but you know, he played for the Sox for one year and, uh, and he had a good year. The Sox want to be good to great in the next two, three, five years and whatever they still have to do toward that end, uh, they're going to do. And I think that that and all the contracts they've signed or did sign before the lockout all head in the same direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds right. I think, I don't know, I mean, it's, it all really just comes down to what the next shoe to drop is. Um, I think Benellis and Hamilton are fine prospects. They're the kind of players you want in your system. Hamilton is relatively close, probably not going to be a starter for you, but um, can be a good utility player for a few years whenever he's able to come up and that's a solid thing to have in your organization then Pinellas has more upside a little bit further away a little bit more risk but um, I mean those are worthy players to have in your organization and um, Renfro was never going to bring back like elite prospects um, even taking on um, a rougher contract like Bradley's but I mean I think like I said, it depends on what the next shooter drop is. I would have preferred trading him for pitching um, if they're not going to sign a big outfielder to um, replace him. But obviously, we don't even know what was out there for pitching. Maybe there was no good pitching that there was to be had for Renfro and um, prospects was the only direction. But I think it really does come down to whether or not or whatever their plan is in the outfield. And I mean, I to me, the worst case scenario would be Bradley penciled in as a starter and if the season started today obviously there's I mean there's not even a players like players don't exist on MLB.com once again um so the season isn't starting today but right now Bradley would be penciled in I think to um one of your starting outfield spots do you think there's any chance that when we actually get into the season that Jackie Bradley is a starter or anything close to it no but I do think that they that by saying he wouldn't be a starter, he's still going to start a bunch. And if there was a righty on the mound opening day, Fenway, I could see it happening. Just, you know, you know, Alex Cora likes his boys, but I know I do not. I do not expect that to come to pass. Uh, it's he's, as you said, he was the worst hitter in baseball last year. So it does seems seems a little suboptimal to pencil him in. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I That was like one of the biggest reactions I saw pretty quickly after this trade was people complaining about Bradley um, being a starter. I, I just can't see it. I can definitely see him being a fourth outfielder. Like you said, I can see him getting some starts against right-handed batters. If he starts to show through the first six weeks or so of the season that um, he's bounced back at the plate and he's like a league average hitter again, then I could see him starting more often and maybe Kike Hernandez moving into second base a little more often. Um, obviously again, depends on what they do there and we'll have a little bit more on that um, later too. But I, I mean, I have to imagine this trade just feels like it sets up uh, something of a splash to some degree in the outfield. Um, and there are some interesting corner outfielders available. Uh, the Red Sox can go with a left fielder if they want to put Alex Verdugo in right and Hernandez in center and then sign a new left fielder. That is a viable option. And there are some, um, there are some interesting names out there. Is there one person who sticks out one free agent that sticks out to you? Um, I guess it could be a trade target too, that you would choose to fill that fall in the outfield. Well, I think that the, Elephant in the room here is um, Seiya Suzuki, uh, who the Red Sox are apparently in on and who has followed the Red Sox and only the Red Sox on various social media platforms. <laughs> Always my favorite part of the offseason. It's pretty fantastic. And that would, I mean, to me, hearing the rumors on him, that would be a consummate bloom move, frankly. Because, again, even with a posting fee, there's going to be potential value in a free agent signing in a way that they're just, I mean, this is the whole reason they're having the lockout right now, 
in the way that there rarely is um, with a potential star in for an established player who because the results are not I mean the results are never guaranteed but he has to shift leagues so if he's point is there's there's potential value there and he could be an everyday player so I think that is by far the most fascinating uh, option to me what about you yeah I mean Suzuki just feels like that would be such a big win um, for so many reasons. I mean, you mentioned, and he's just incredibly talented, one of the best players in Japan for, I mean, the last half decade. Um, he's only entering his age 27 season. So in terms of free agents, um, he is very young. I think he, I don't know if there's anybody, yeah, there's nobody even within two years of him in terms of um, free agent outfielders still out there. So um, the age works. He The posting fee, I guess, makes it cost a little bit more money, but um, it's John Henry's money. He's got plenty of it, so I'm not really worried about that. And they don't have to have a draft pick um, to sign him, which I think is huge um, because there are some other interesting names out there. Nick Castellanos probably being um, chief among them, who does have a qualifying offer attached. He would cost a free agent. Um, and we did get a question about Suzuki just in terms of uh, what his status at, is at in terms of uh, posting. Somebody, uh, Dylan Hawley asked um, if he can still sign during the lockout since he's not technically a current MLB player. Uh, he cannot sign right now because when he did sign, he would be on the 40-man, and you're not allowed to make 40-man moves right now. But um, his posting was frozen, so I forget how far along he was in his posting, but um, however long he had day, however long he had left, something like 20 days, uh, that'll carry over to whenever the lockout's over. So I, I do think he makes a lot of sense. Um, I assume there's going to be a decent amount of competition for him, so I don't know that it's a foregone conclusion or anything, but that if they were able to sign Suzuki, that would make the Renfro trade, um, in hindsight to me, just an A+. plus. I mean, they got a couple of solid prospects, got a fourth outfielder, um, and then were able to open up a spot for somebody like Suzuki. I do think um, Kyle Schwarber is another viable option here. I know Heim Bloom mentioned that he wanted a right-handed bat. I think Schwarber is the kind of hitter who can um, sort of transcend that need, um, and he obviously has connection with the coaching staff and the players in the front office and the town and all that, so I think Schwarber makes sense, um, and I think Castellanos makes sense too, but to me, Suzuki Suzuki is just a slam dunk. I think I do, I do. think he's a great gambit, and, like, and yeah, he's 27. He's entering his prime. It's it would be a good get. But so I think Castellanos would make a lot of sense. And I think he would just eat. I mean, I just think he would absolutely tear up um, the left field wall. And of course, the memes. I mean, <laughs> the memes are just going to, I mean, he's never going to get away from them. But at least we could have some ownership over them. But uh, Schwarber... We'll see. I, I I tend to take Bloom at his word when he says he's looking for a right-handed bat, but we'll see. I can see them signing like another right-handed bat that's not as expensive. I mean, I, Kevin Pillar, um, I don't know who else is even out there. Uh, maybe Tommy Pham or something if his market goes down, Andrew McCutcheon. I could see that happening, and then Schwarber playing some first base as well. Um so I think if they were to sign Schwarber, there would be another lesser right-handed bat coming in. But I think you're probably right that they would look more at that. I think Chris Bryant is also interesting, too. I totally do not expect that to happen. Um, but he's been connected to the Red Sox a few times earlier in his career. Um, he can play He can play all three outfield spots if you really need him to, but he's solid in the corners. Um, and he can also play third base down the road if you're looking to move Rafael Devers maybe next year. You can move Bryant back on back into the infield to play third base. He doesn't have draft pick compensation attached to him because he's traded um, in the middle of last season. So again, I don't really think that that's a realistic option. It just hasn't really seemed like um, the Red Sox have had any interest there. And I don't know if Bryant has any interest, but I think that that's an under the radar move that could make sense with the roster. When you said Kevin Pollard and then Tommy Pham, I did the meme where the woman has the 
ugly face and then has her eyes open <laughs> the next one. I was like, I made a face for Kevin Pillar. Ooh, Tommy Pham. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was looking for somebody kind of in the middle of them in terms of talent, but there really isn't a right-handed option. I guess McCutcheon would sort of be the be the middle guy there, but he's too um, cool to play for the Red Sox. Sorry, Red Sox. Man. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Um. Right, we had another listener question um, sort of about the outfield from Floyd. Um, Floyd wants to know why you don't just uh, pencil in Jaron Duran as Renfro's replacement. Uh, he says he could be a future all-star for years to come. Well, I mean, he could be. I think we're about to have a complete reversal of the Jaron Duran hype machine um, and probably somewhat a, result, uh, a reversal in the results. I think that by the end of next year, Duran will probably be um, in, in the rotation. Um, yeah. but I think that starting out at being seems to be conventional wisdom that he is not likely to be one of the starters. And I think that probably won't what, even be in the majors. Right. And I think what we can, what we can infer from that is they don't think he's ready. So, at, uh, in light of last year's performance and look, we, we talked about this, that like, with virtually every young hitter, even the absolute, in the last two or three years, even the absolute cream of the crop, it's taken them a while to get going. Now, Wander Franco is kind of a, an exception, but he's an exception to pretty much every rule. He struggled um, a little bit to start. Not he struggled a little, as much as Duran, but yeah. A little bit. Like Relatively Vaughn, speaking. Andrew Vaughn is a player who's like, he's a great hitter or was in college. And he seems to have picked it up, but it took him like a year, I think, to Kelnick too. Get, uh, he has has he put it together? Well, yeah, I guess I was just thinking about the first part of that, not <laughs> put it together. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about Kelnick is like he's Duran has shown power, and we would like him to have power, but at least uh, Kelnick, when he does hit it, it goes a long way. So, uh, but the. But the point stands that even among the cream of the crop of minor league hitters, um, the adjustment period is difficult. I mean, look, part of it is these pitchers are all throwing 100, you know, and then working off that. So I get it. I'm not I have not soured on Duran long term, but I do think in the short term it would be unwise to suspect he might be uh starter as you as you know may not even be in the majors to start the season yeah i mean i don't think he if he's not starting i i would imagine they're going to put him in triple a so he can play every day and i think that's probably the right move i mean i was um maybe the high guy in duran coming into the season if not um i was pretty close and i'm still very high on him obviously he did not look good though and i i mean it wouldn't make sense to give him a starting role um i mean i think the plan for him is just if he hits well in the minors, he'll come back up and start getting some playing time. And if he proves it, then, I mean, that's the beauty of having Kike Hernandez and his versatility. You can move, if you, Duran really forces the issue, you can move uh, Hernandez into second base, um, where unless they make another move, they still have Christian Arroyo, who is a replaceable player. Um, and then you can play Duran as much as you want. So, I mean, there is a path for him to earn his playing time, but it's not going to be handed to him, and it shouldn't be. I mean, you you mentioned um, how hard that jump is from AAA to the majors right now, and uh, but it's it's still not a guarantee that he's going to be able to make that jump. So as high as I am on him, you gotta you got to see it, and he's going to have to earn it. So I think um, I think it would be a mistake for him to be a starter to start the year, and I would be totally shocked if that happened unless there were like four injuries in spring training. The only thing I'll push back on a little bit is that he was hitting pretty well in AAA last year. So you say if he hits, he get a chance. Now he did hit and he did get a chance. So I, that part, yeah, yeah, I'm that part tracked. I think it's, you know, it's a mix of trying to get him reps, but also trying to get him reps against major league pitchers, which is part of what you need to do. So it's it will not. I mean, he's twenty five. It will not hurt his development if they take this as another slow build year, especially if it's on a winning team where they have um, Suzuki or Casty or whoever in that rotation. Um, I'm sort of a, there's a lot of pseudoscience in baseball, but I do like the rising tide aspect of 
being around better players, uh, even if it means maybe he gets aced out for a little playing time. Um, I don't think that they're particularly worried about him long term either. So I think that uh, a good environment uh, in AAA or in the majors is only going to work well for him. The only uh, sort of skewing factor is that the Worcester state, it's like it's balls fly out like nothing. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to do something about that for next year. Try and make a an adjustment somehow because yeah, it's uh, it was it's hard to evaluate hitters coming out of Worcester right now. Didn't Franchi just go absolutely bonkers? Yeah, Franchi was like the best hitter in the world immediately upon getting demoted, and then he came back up and once again couldn't hit. So, I think that was a combination of the jump from AAA that we were talking about, as well as Worcester just being um, just a wild place to play baseball right now. Yeah, it's kind of not representative in some ways. <laughs> No, it's like a um, PCL park or, um, yeah, right? PCL, that was the name of the league? That yeah, yep, range. yep, yep. Yeah, so PCL in the East. All right, let's get into uh, the other two moves that they made. Probably not quite as exciting, but the Red Sox did sign two more pitchers um, pretty much immediately after we talked about Michael Waka last week. Um, we'll start with a guy who's actually going to pitch at the start of the year. That's Rich Hill. Um, you did mention him briefly. But Rich Hill signed a one-year deal. Um, I forget what it is. I, I think Alex Pierce said this is the seventh time he signed a free agent contract with the Red Sox in his career, which is just um, just absolutely wild. Uh, Rich Hill is going to be in his age 42 season next year. Um, did have a pretty solid year last season with uh, the Rays and then the Mets. Made um, He made 31 starts plus a relief appearance. It's the first time he started 30 games since 2007. Um 386 ERA, 434 FIP. Not the best numbers, but certainly numbers that you can live with. And it kind of fits the mold that you were talking about last week a veteran on a cheaper deal. Um, where does he slot into the rotation for you right now in terms of like what you're expecting production wise? Obviously, he's not going to, I can't imagine he's going to be above a Valdir sale for you, but is he above or is he below anybody else? I mean, I think he fits right into the Erod spot, frankly. So uh, especially because he's because he's a lefty, especially so they want to presumably mix it up. Um, so Sale, Ivaldi, um, Hill, and then Pavetta Paxton, something like that. But I, I mean, as this is exactly the type of deal uh, that I said, frankly, that they were looking to sign and. I almost mentioned Rich Hill last week, but I was like, nah, he's kind of too old. I don't think they'll do it, but they did it. It may, it's, makes perfect sense for them. They do not want to commit to pitchers for a particularly long time um, unless there are options, which we'll get into with Paxton. But they don't want to be tied down to any pitcher. And they this is just, this is another process deal. But it, I mean, everybody likes Rich Hill. It's great. Hometown boy, hometown man. That, yeah, that, that's probably that's really like the thing. Like, I don't really love this move, but I can't quite be mad about it because it's Rich Hill, and like you said, I mean, who doesn't like Rich Hill? Um, and I mean, he's had his career has just been totally bonkers. I mean, twenty fifteen, him coming up at the end of the season seemed insane that he was even getting starts, and that just like just catapulted his career into this now i mean we're coming up on like the eighth year of him since then and he's he's still kicking i mean he's i i think i have more confidence in pavetta than him right now um and a lot of that just comes down to i don't really know how much we're gonna see of rich hill this year i know he made a bunch of starts last year but i i have a hard time counting on him on a guy who's gonna be 42 before the season starts um making more than like 20 starts it's just it's one of those i'll believe it when i see it things but he's fine middle of the rotation i mean it's he's better than michael waka but i sort of have the same feeling where it's yeah it's whatever it's a back-end starter but um nothing to be too excited about and it just i guess builds depth more than anything which is sort of what you've been preaching for weeks now yeah but again everybody likes rich hill so it's fine yeah, I mean, that's the, the hometown thing and all that. Um, all right, the other one is James Paxton, 
who, I mean, this was just a strange contract. Um, this was, if you want to talk about creativity, um, creativity doesn't always mean good. I don't know that I like how convoluted this deal is, but it is certainly creative. It's not a contract that we see all the time. So uh, James Paxton um, is not going to pitch for the first half of the season, at least. He underwent Tommy John um, early last season. Um, he made, he threw an inning and a third uh, with the Mariners last year before he got shut down for the year. Uh, but he signed a deal, so it's one year. The guarantee is $10 million. It's a $6 million base for next season. And then there's a one club option that would trigger two years, two extra years on the deal, 2023 and 2024. If the Red Sox don't pick that up, then Paxton can pick up a player option just for 2023, which is for $4 million, which gets to that $10 million guarantee. So it's a $5 million tax bill. I mean, it is just not your typical contract, um, but it makes sense. I mean, it's a guy who has pitched all of 21 innings uh, the last two seasons combined. He obviously has big-time talent, but you just don't know where he's at health-wise, what he's going to look like when he comes back from all that missed time. Um, do you like taking this kind of chance on an injured player with a weird contract like this? Is his nickname Big Maple? Am I the Big name Maple. Name? He is a Canadian. Yeah, I believe his nickname is the Big Maple for that reason. It is. Um, well, now that he's Canadian, yeah, of course I like taking it. You know, Canadians are nice. Uh, yeah, he I got mean, attacked by a bald eagle. Remember that? This seems to be as I think it fits right in with the the process thing, and I think that the bizarreness of the contract just reflects his uh, talent level being above. I mean, look, I'm not going to say his talent level is above Rich Hill. Probably is, but Rich Hill's just old as fuck. Um, <laughs> younger than me, but still almost as old as me, which tough to do. Um, yeah, no, I, lo- I like something like this. I mean, I certainly might like it more than I liked, uh, say, Garrett Richards' deal. But Garrett Richards was just for one year straight. So uh, I'm perfectly okay with it i think they just want a handful of these guys and just throw it at the wall because then unlike last year they have a much deeper bench of younger guys who can fill the swingman roles and can be slotted as a starter closer middle reliever whatever but i'm guessing you don't necessarily agree i Sort of. I mean, I like it in theory. Um, I mean, taking a chance on talent like this when you have the depth that you talked about, I mean, it makes sense. And if it works out, I mean, if he comes back in the second half, say he comes back for the last two months or whatever and just shoves, then you have a steal for the next two seasons um, on very cheap money for those club options. Um, Not going to hinder you from doing other things, and that's that's the creative part and that's why they did it and it makes sense in that perspective i just think i guess speaking more broadly about the rotation and the moves that they've made i would have rather have taken the money that they spent on hill waka and paxton and just gotten one starter for that i think with the aforementioned depth that they've built up and then maybe adding a couple more uh, guys on minor league contracts, maybe fighting for a job out of spring training. I think that would have been more effective. I would have liked to see one high end arm. I think more so than the quantity approach. But I mean, it's it, this is this has its merits. Like you said, sort of just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, it would not be surprising to me at all if one of these three signings, when we look back at this time next year, we look back at it as a great signing. So um, it's just different approaches. I probably would have went for the i mean it has its own risks but the maybe safer option of just going for one top end arm rather than our mid-tier arm even with the same amount of money that used to sign these three but um i see the merits of using the approach that they did use and paxton specifically i mean like i said there's the potential for a big payoff here so it's not the way i would have went i'm a little disappointed uh but i see it and then i guess i mean that we don't even know that they're, they're done with the rotation. They could surprise us and bring in another starter, whether it be free agency or trade. Do you 
Do you think they're done with the rotation? I, not counting like guys that they bring in for spring training invites, but major league deals for starting pitchers. Do you think they're done? I think to an even larger extent than before the lockout, they're going to be in just value sop up mode. So I feel like they wanted to get into a position where they wouldn't have to add to the rotation if the price wasn't right, because the price is a huge factor. I'm not going to say a full factor because I was called out by a well-known Red Sox prospects writer by saying on a group chat that they were being cheap when they traded Renfro. And he said, well, they're paying more money for Bradley than they were for Renfro. How are they being cheap? At which point, at which point, uh, I wanted to rephrase because I don't, I don't mind the deal at all. I don't think it's bad, but I think it was part of the process of getting cost control and just having high, um, high ceiling guys um, for not a lot of money. And obviously I think Paxton fits that. And then going forward, if they can get another one at a good price, they'll do it. And if they can't, they won't. Yeah, I, I kind of, I don't think they're going to add to the rotation, but I do, I imagine they'll probably, I don't think they're really going to touch the free agent market from here. Um, although Carlos Rodon, um still very much intrigues me. I don't think we'll see them go down that road, but I, I think they'll probably stay in touch with some rebuilding teams about um, trade targets. And if the price is interesting enough to them, then maybe they might swing that deal. But I, I, I think they're probably going to focus on position players once the lockout is over and shoring up the lineup and the bullpen too. Um, but I think the rotation, they're content with what it is and they'll be open to upgrades, but I don't think we'll see it. Um, all right, speaking of position players, one last thing before we get into listener questions. Uh, there was a report from John Heyman um, saying that the Red Sox before the lockout were one of three teams showing interest in Trevor Story. Um, that surprise you? Do you think and do you think it's real or is this just posturing? Well, I wouldn't think it was real if it wasn't um, if Spire spear hadn't suggested that he was looking for a one-year deal which that is the only way that it would make any sense to me um not i'm not saying again from my perspective i mean from high bloom's perspective but i get the sense they are just kicking the tires here now they're very very nice tires they are amazing tires but i still think they're just kicking the tires if, if this is true at all yeah, I'm actually not a big Trevor Story guy. Um, I feel like if you were going to make a splash in the infield, there were so many better options, and there still is one in Carlos Correa, although I really don't see that happening. Um, but it kind of feels like, to me, this is just an agent. I don't know who Story's agent is, but it feels like an agent putting out a story trying to get a bigger market for his player by um, calling out one of the bigger market teams in the league. And um, I mean, look, Story is a good player. I'm not going to act like he's garbage or anything, but he's coming off a down year. I'm not sure he can throw anymore. Um, that seems to be a concern. He had a, um, I don't remember if it was an elbow or shoulder, but he had some sort of arm injury last year that um, kind of took away his throwing ability. Who knows if he's going to get that back? And they were talking about moving him to second base anyways if the Red Sox were to sign him, um, which wouldn't matter as much. But, yeah, I mean, I think I'm sort of operating under the assumption that they are going to um they're only going to give out one relatively big contract i do think that they will make some sort of splash at some point after the lockout but i think it'll only be one and i would rather that happen in the outfield preferably with suzuki but maybe with castellanos or one of these other names chris bryant kyle schwarber i would rather that i think than the infield i think that they can um i just think those players are better than trevor story there and the one-year thing would be intriguing, but I don't know that I want to... I mean, I know the Red Sox can afford more than any other year to give up a second-round pick uh, for draft pick conversation. I don't really love the idea of giving up a draft pick on a one-year deal, though, which would be the only hesitation I would have with a pillow contract. Um, I would probably do it if it came down to it, but I would it would at least give me some hesitation. Yeah. I mean, I totally see that. I, I think the Red Sox are, and I mean this in a complimentary way, are, are really into price enforcing. And if they see anything, they see a deal at any level, they'll they'll look into it. And I think it, insofar as this is true, if it's true at all, that's what happened. And obviously 
as we know from the Mr. Editor uh, affair and others, uh, agents can very easily launder stories through reporters. Well, especially, I mean, I don't want to call him out, but I kind of do want to call him out. I mean, Heyman is the agent reporter. I mean, that's Boris specifically is his MO, but just agents in general, that's usually where uh, where he's getting his info. So that's another reason why I kind of put, I'm a little hesitant to believe this, but. All right, let's uh, let's do a few listener questions before we get out of here. Uh, first one is just sort of uh, asking about the status of the lockout. I don't know if you've heard anything. Uh, surfing guy wants to know um, if they are currently at the table, if they're waiting for somebody to call a meeting about the next proposal, if they've been negotiating at all. Um, they say they haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything either. I don't believe there have been any reports, but that doesn't mean anything. And honestly, it's kind of... If they are negotiating, it's kind of refreshing that we're not getting updates every 10 minutes about proposals that are being struck down and um, handed over. I mean, I just absolutely despise when this stuff is made public and it just makes it 10 times worse. So um, hopefully that's the case and that they are negotiating without making it public, but it's entirely possible that they are uh, just not even at the table, which would suck. But I don't know. I'm hoping we don't hear much. I... I'm guessing that they are negotiating in private because what was that? I'm guessing that they're negotiating and it's just not public. Yeah. Did, I mean, what else would they be doing? I mean, look, part of that is just before the lockout teams were in a frenzy to do deals. It wasn't like It didn't. I did not get the sense that there was no enthusiasm for the forthcoming baseball season. It seems like the owners want it to happen, and I would imagine that the players who just signed big contracts, one of whom is on the executive committee and is named Max Scherzer and should be on the Red Sox but isn't. Um, I just mean like in principle, uh, he should be on the Red Sox. Signed because he wants to play, and I know if there's a difference between personal motivation and motivation for the entire union, but I think both sides want the season to happen. So my just based on that feeling slash inference, I would guess that they are negotiating in private. Also because I feel like if they were at an impasse, they would be bargaining through the media. So. The absence yeah. of that leads me to believe that they're probably talking. And look, they've known what the point. issues are for years. So um, it's not like, what are the issues and let's work through them. So I, I feel like yeah. they probably both have some pretty well thought out proposals that they're hopefully exchanging. Yeah, I think you're right. And I still don't think we're going to miss any games. But again, that could be, a, like I said last week, could just be a lot of wishful thinking. Uh, we got another uh, question from the surfing guy uh, wanting to know if we think the Red Sox uh, will finally get a high-end reliever to mostly pitch the ninth. Uh, not saying they'll go after someone like Kenley Jansen, but somebody with proven closing experience, or do they just think that Barnes uh, is still the answer? Well, our boy Raisel is off, Raisel is off the market. So yeah, that was a bummer. That was a bummer. So, as you said, you sort of suspect Kenley to go back. Um I don't know. I I really don't know. I would look. This is where if they were going to ever spend, and I said this last week, the price to spend on a reliever is so much lower. Um, I think it is at least than other positions. That I, this is where I would want them to just hammer one really good reliever. But uh, I the answer is I don't know. I just don't. Especially, I just I don't. Th- I don't think there's really options out there. I mean, that's the problem uh, for me. I mean, if we think that Jansen's Jance probably going back to the Dodgers, which I do, um, he's really it. I mean, there's no – in terms of free agents, at least. I mean, maybe they make a trade for, like, Josh Hader or whatever, but I don't really see that happening. So, I mean, I think Ryan Tapera is the guy that I've been kind of looking at, and he doesn't have that closer experience or whatever, but he's had he's been really good for a couple years in a row. Um kind of made headlines a couple years ago as a joke because someone mistakenly put him on their MVP ballot. But, I mean, he, especially last year, was extremely good. So, I mean, I kind of think that that's the route that we're going to see them go, which is not exciting, but 
somebody to pitch him the late innings. That's, I mean, that sounds exactly um, like something that they would do. Uh, he's on the, and Rock- I mean, non Jansen. He's on the Rockies. He's probably right? Tapera. Yeah. Uh, oh no, he's not on the Rockies. No, he was in Chicago. Uh, okay. Um, he's yeah. with the Cubs and then the White Sox, but I mean, he's probably the second best free agent reliever left right now. Jansen number one, and then but if you think that Jansen's not available, Tapera's probably the top dog, which is speaks probably to the free agent class more than anything. The dog. Um, all right, one. It's not a high end dog show. No, it is not. Uh, one more from Ivan L. Apex. Um, which salary would you feel better to taking if it gets you a stud at a cheaper prospect price? Uh, so he throws out Elvis Andrews, who has one year and $15 million left, uh, and Frankie Montas from the A's for Bobby Dahlbeck, Jay Grew, and Jeter Downs, or Madison Bumgarner, who has three years and $60 million left, to go along with Cattell Marte uh, for Jay Grew, Connor Seabold, and Matthew Lugo. This is quite, uh, in general, I see these questions and I think, well, this is just a whole bunch of made up nonsense. How, why should I even choose? But I actually love the choice here just theoretically and ask myself, what do I think? the Re- I think the Red Sox, even though they'd be giving up considerably less for the Baumgartner, Baumgartner and Marte, and Marte is very good deal i think i'd prefer the first one just because um montes is is better i think um i I also don't know if i trust madison bumgarner pitching in fenway park yeah i totally don't want anything to do with bumgarner for three years i'm with you i'd go with the first one um and also because i mean you're getting both of them you're getting an infielder and a starting pitcher um i'll take the better starting pitcher who's Controlled for a few years. Um, Red Sox legend Frankie Montas. Prime. Yeah, former Red Sox prospect Frankie Montas. Um, yeah, I mean, that one just makes more sense to me. I know you're giving up a lot more in prospects there, and I don't even know if you would have to give up that much, but Andrews is only one year, and he's, I mean, he's fine. Everybody loved Jose Iglesias. Um, Andrews doesn't have that Red Sox connection, but he's another very good defensive infielder who can't hit at all. I mean, Iglesias hit with the Red Sox, but generally... Um, so yeah, I, I would go with the first one, maybe tweak the prospect package a bit, but, um, in terms of Andrews and Baumgartner, give me Andrews a hundred percent of the time, which is weird to say. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for this one. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and a review if applicable. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the over the monster account at over the monster. Brian is at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y Joyner with an I, and you can find all of our writing at over the And we will be back with you. I don't know if we'll be back next week because of the lockout, but we'll be back at some point. So we'll see you then.